Kia and welcome to episode number seven of Liberty Now. I'm your host, John Bird. Thank you for stopping by. This is the show for discerning minds and common sense. We seek the truth and can think for ourselves. I'll be here dropping truth bombs every Saturday at 10 p.m. and chatting with you about stuff that matters to you and me and everyone we know. We'll follow the stories behind the headlines, ask questions, and talk to people who are taking action. Today we're having a conversation about what it means to be red-pilled. I'm going to be talking with my good friend Dr. Javier Figueroa and his wife Deb. They share their experiences about what woke them up and what it really means. Javier shared some things that really blew my mind, so you don't want to miss this episode. If you're just tuning in, this is John Verd on Liberty Now On Air, a weekly broadcast slash podcast on 96.9 Plains FM. You can also subscribe to the podcast in iTunes at Liberty Now On Air. All right, let's get into this interview. Javier, how would you define red pilt? Um, it's uh, basically, you know, swallowing a hard truth and accepting it. How succinct. Nice. I like Thank that. You. That's probably the best one I've heard yet. I forgot to introduce my guest that I'm talking to today. <laughs> I, I have the pleasure of speaking with Dr. Javier Figueroa and his lovely wife, Deborah. And I just wanted to welcome you to the podcast. And thank you so much for taking time to chat today. And um, what, what does it come to mean to you, Deb? Sure to me, it, yes, it's almost like where you're you're picking sides. It's like all of a sudden, it's like I'm at I'm at the crossroads, and I need to either go right or left, red or blue, and um, and having to make that hard choice. Yeah, getting into that, both of those are actually because you are sort of at a crossroads at a choice. You know, there's a red pill, there's a blue pill, but it, it's like we're infinitely bifurcating into smaller and smaller crossroads right so um can i you just made me think of but what's what's become so true now is it's like you have to pick right whereas it, it didn't you know this is the first time in in my life where it's like if you start to think the other way and you're amongst people that think yeah like if we think like the blue way right right you get questioned and you get attacked. And so right. it almost, we're being pushed to pick, which I think is quite interesting, different. Right. Whichever side, today. yeah, whichever side you sort of tend to think down or even question or examine, you're going to be demonized by the other side pretty much either way. Right. And, you know, we hear a lot of talk, but even Mr. Biden, who's talking about, you know, we need to unify and, and bring both sides of the aisle together and, bring this country back together. And then you watch their behavior and their language right. and it, it does the complete opposite. Uh, you know, and even if you support Trump, as, as I tended to support many of his views, even he was, uh, well, he was speaking what I think the majority of Americans were feeling. Um, but even that sort of language is, can be divisive. But, you know, we really do need to try to come up with some common ground uh, in, in reality. And this is where language gets super important, um, you know, from a philosophical for, or from a social perspective. If we can't agree on common definitions of terms, 
<laughs> and and especially when we're starting to apply those terms to sort of categories of people, we're dissociating ourselves from them w when we choose like you know one definition or or another. And there's like an endless creation, like I was saying before, sort of a bifurcation of, of definitions or decisions where you're sort of forced to have to make that choice between one or the other. You know, which side do you want to be bullied by? <laughs> or <laughs> That's a good way of putting it. Um, right. And, and I, you know, being fr from my perspective, and I'm, I'm sure that the extreme left would not see it this way, but I think that most of what I see from, from the right or more conservative side uh, is more willing to, to dialogue, less emotional and willing to examine both sides and, and is going to participate in less bullying of the other side. But I, you know, I, I fully admit there's, you know, when you look at the memes and um, back and forth, you know, there's, there's plenty to go both ways. It's just interesting how just even this one term, you know, red pill can really send you down a rabbit hole of different ideas. But as I was saying before, you know, we've, we've seen this increasing division and um, sort of dividing the opinions and people into, into these different infinitely smaller categories. And I really do think this is by design. When you look at you back away to the 50,000 foot level and you start examining, you know, what's happening geopolitically and you start looking at, you know, the white papers and the writings of you know, going way back to, you know, Friedrich Hayek, the economist, and Milton Friedman, and Thomas Sowell, you know, these brilliant thinkers. And then the other, on the other side, you've got, uh, you know, your CFR campaign for foreign relations, or is it campaign of foreign relations? Council. Council for, thank you. And the Trilateral Commission, you know, these are real things, but not part of the mainstream narrative most people don't know about. But you will, you will see if you start reading those, that there is uh, a lot of this is by design, but uh, sort of back to what I was talking about, uh, the increasing division we were talking about, you know, just in the gay community, right, that that used to be just an innocent term being happy and free. And so they, you know, the, the homosexual community, to use the scientific medical term, uh, adopted that to be less demonized. Fair enough. And come up with a term. We're just happy, you know, and and that's fine. Um, you know, I'm, I'm libertarian in, in that I am, you know, live and let live, and, right. you know, you do whatever you want, um, you know, and, and they say, um, you know, keep your politics out of your bedroom. But today it almost seems like you're trying to bring your bedroom into my politics and my home. And, you know, exactly. You, you can do whatever you want. Um, just don't make me adopt it. Um, but I, I'm not going to judge you know, it's, it's not, it's not my place. Exactly. Yeah. But, but now we have, you know, it's, it's not enough to be, um, you know, gay or lesbian anymore that we started making that distinction. And then we started getting, uh, gay, lesbian, transgender and right. know, forgive me for not being politically correct, but I, well, I'm not going to apologize for being politically incorrect. Cause I, I think that's just another way to divide people. But, uh, mm -hmm. yeah, but, but now we, we've got an, a, a, such an, an alphabet string of letters and distinctions, you know, that uh, I can't even keep up anymore. And so you're, yeah. they've, they've yeah. divided themselves up into these infinitely smaller groups. And so even infighting among people that used to be unified and together, we, we need to have a, an honest dialogue and bring back common sense to the conversation and try to come up with common definitions 
of you know Sorry. language. I was just thinking. It just seems like we we've, we've forgotten that the person we're talking to is human as well, and they right. have a family, they have a loved one, they have they had their upbringing. It seems like a lot of that has been forgotten because people immediately label. I mean, we immediately get characterized, right? If we're not following, you know, the the um, popular thought or beliefs, right? And we could even, you know, discuss about, you know, what what is the popular thought? What's being, you know, mm. shown to us on the the mainstream media may not necessarily be majority mm -hmm. of world citizens' opinion, but it certainly is being shown to us that way. Uh, you know, right. One one particular narrative is, um, mm -hmm. and that speaks a lot about the increasing control uh, and the consolidation of media that that we've seen. You know, if anybody takes a look into that, you'll realize that, you know, oligarchies and monopolies are part of everyday life now. Th those used to be illegal. Right. At one point, we were taught in history class, you know. That right. But you don't hear much discussion of that in schools anymore, I don't think. No. And if you look at New Zealand, I mean, you know, there there is a monopoly on radio and television in New Zealand. Right. It is never discussed. Right. So true. If you're just tuning in, this is John Verd on Liberty Now On Air, a weekly broadcast slash podcast on 96.9 Plains FM. You can also subscribe to the podcast in iTunes at Liberty Now On Air. To get the links, files, and show notes for this episode, head over to LibertyNow.com. Okay, let's get back to the interview. Uh, you guys are in Seattle, Washington. Tell me a little bit about how things are, what's, what's the state of affairs? How are living conditions at the moment? Living conditions are interesting. Um, you know, when we go outdoors, I mean, this is where we start talking about COVID because that's everywhere yeah. or at least the, 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 the protocols are everywhere. Right. Um, so everybody is required to be masked, um, going for walks. People are masked, you know, 90, 80% of the time, children anyway um school public school still is homeschooling um our son goes to a different school and they do now have two days a week going into class but they're oh, in nice. jackets with windows open oh, yeah. and masks on windows um, open that's interesting so there is some perceived benefit to having open air in reducing germ transmission I'm just wondering, like, if, if it's perceived that, you know, open air and windows are, are helpful, why then would masks be required outside in the open exactly. air? It, it's irrational. It's irrational. A, lot of, <laughs> a lot of the choices you see, it's like somebody opens their door and then walks out and puts a mask on as if the virus does not enter your house. I mean, it's endemic. It's, 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 it's everywhere. It's everywhere. But, but yet... We are all, you know, the majority are hiding from it and fearing from it. And I mean, just just the mental health. I mean, I see it just when you're walking, people approach, they give you a wide berth. I mean, there's just right. this innate fear of people, which I mean, just mentally, it's just, um, I mean, it's destructive. It's, yeah. it's highly destructive. And I mean, I, I, I get concerned about the children and the impact to kids. Um, 
you know, not seeing faces, being taught to be fearful, wash your hands, wash your hands, you know, I mean, it's, yeah, it's, but that's, I mean, not to go off on that, that subject, but. Yeah. Not, not that washing hands is a bad thing. No. I think this might actually be my good good positive. Yeah, yeah, I, I yeah. think. I think, yeah, exactly. Well, but it, but if you bring that up, you know, it's there are there are those who would say that you know you're completely against science, and it's like no, washing your hands is good. Constantly bathing your hands in sterilizer or antiseptic, um, and not being able to ever be exposed to any bacteria or germs of any kind, however, has been shown medically to uh, increase the likelihood of illness and reduction in immunity to things, right? <laughs> exactly. And, and so honestly, you know, one of the things that, and, and if we're going off topic, I mean, stop me, but one of the things that when this whole COVID lockdown happens, yep. you know, one of the, one of the, one of the, um, one of the, it was, it was the response to COVID that got, that really kind of turned me down the path <laughs> of, yeah. Okay. Like so yeah, jump into that. Deb. Let, yeah. Yeah. Tell, so tell me like what, what sort of red pilled you? Would you say? That <laughs> what it, red pilled yeah. Would you say it was uh, COVID sort of started making you question it things? Was, it, honestly, it was it was COVID. Yeah. COVID was the catalyst because what it, it didn't make sense. The lockdowns didn't make sense to me and and my my training is I'm, a, I'm an analyst by nature and my training is as an economist when I heard about the lockdowns I said I had questions sure. I had lots of questions yeah but I was not seeing any of these questions come up in the news it was all about hunker down it was all just fear-based um right. we got to do this and you know so initially it's like okay a few weeks we can do this right um because it's only for a few weeks. And then the goalpost completely changed. And all I could see is the cost, because that's, again, how I, I think. I'm like, but, okay, we're locking down. We're, we're being, we're, we're not going out. We're not exposing. So in the near term, yeah, we're not going to spread the germs. Um, however, what we... Um, what we are not talking about is the impact, the greater impact of society. It's like the cost benefit. The the benefit theoretically was just we're not going to spread COVID, right? Right. But the cost is um, increase in stress, and stress is one of, if not the, because I think I saw statistically, it's one of the top, you know, it's killers wild. of, you know, the uh, top causes of mortality. Well, we haven't we and, seen an increase in uh, suicides as as a direct result exactly. of loss of so business, loss of jobs. Yeah. Right. So, so what what are the mortality? High stress. Yep. High stress. Nobody talked about the high stress. Nobody talked about um, the safe haven that this was for some kids that have a dysfunctional home. This was like their one one way to prosper. Um, the suicides. Mm. The um, you know just abuse. None of this was being discussed, and and I and I that's where I struggled. So it was like that's kind of what started me, like turning, right? Because I couldn't understand why I wasn't I wasn't hearing any discourse, right? About you know if we do this, this is what it looks like, and this you know because 
at least in my memory, it would seem that we would have those rational people like Walter Cronkite that would kind of lay it out. And you would you would hear that, well, you know, this is happening at medical centers, but only in these cities for these reasons. I mean, it was more factual instead of, oh, my God, hospitals are overrun when our hospitals were not. Right. They were not. Right. We went. We looked. So then so then trust was so trust was lost. Trust was broken. And 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 now now I've learned, you know, so once it was broken and I started learning more. I'm like, I can't, I can't look back. I mean, I, yeah, that's it's, so true. Yeah. It's, and, it's, and sho- it's, like, it's shocking how compromised people are and how, what a conflict of interest the people that are setting policies have. Right. Um, so those are some of the things too, that I think when you start to question, if you're willing to look at like, you know, who benefits and are there conflicts of interest between the people who are promoting one nar- narrative and and the people on the other side and then you also start to look at if you're willing to look you see that um as you say you know normally questions are asked and and both sides are considered when you see those people who are asking questions from a particular side being censored and i'm talking you know professionals from the you know phds and the highest authorities virologists neurologists and and these rational voices who have previously been the voices of reason being censored. They're not even allowed to flat out banned on any social media, on any mainstream news. One has to go, hmm. Yes. <laughs> yeah, right? I mean, it, it, things that make you go, hmm, you have to begin to wonder <laughs> if there is um, only a, a one-sided narrative or if, if this is being controlled. Yeah, Deb, that's, and it's, great to see you um like just asking questions you know and and i think there's a lot of people coming to that point i started questioning things um i'll give one example Um, i i started sort of down the rabbit hole i mentioned in the previous episode when i read uh, malthus's essay on human population and he was he was very calmly and rationally explaining that you know there's a finite amount of real estate on the planet true um and that in areas where human beings settle in in an area, the population tends to grow exponentially. Okay, I, I, that sounds reasonable, and that the ability to produce food for that population only can increase at a linear rate. So you, if you do your math, is that algebra? You start looking at your curves. You can see one curve going, you know, way up, and the other one, the food curve, not keeping pace. So. Um, but but when people start taking it upon themselves to fix that curve um, through uh, things like eugenics, depopulation, um, vaccination, vaccination, <laughs> yeah, and that again we we can get into a whole other episode about that. But um, yeah, so so that is a a good case study in being red pilled. Um, Javier, what would you say sort of red-pilled you to another reality? Uh, I was always a little more, um, how can I put it? Um, Paranoid? Willing to look, huh? <laughs> Paranoid? Sorry? Paranoid, well, <laughs> yeah. No, you know, that's right. Comes, you you get labeled from, that, don't you, if you start asking questions? It, it's funny because, yeah, you, you do get labeled as that. But, it, you know, for, for the longest time, I, I would say that I, I really was unwilling to take to uh, believe the, the narrative 
but it, it's funny because I did definitely have a bias for for a long time. I had a uh, you know what what clinical psychologists would say is a normality bias. Right. Right. <clears throat> and so I would think that well you know there's there's some people in government I can trust that are you know willing to do certain things. And then when you start learning and start digging, and I think this probably happened about, uh, you know, right around uh, 9-11. Yeah. Right? Yeah. When all of a sudden, wow, this was bad. And I, for the first two years after 9-11, I really just believed the narrative. Yes. The narrative being for, for people that haven't dug into this for a while or millennials who haven't really gotten familiar with it. Uh, the, the narrative being that two planes took down three buildings. Actually, there were more than three buildings that collapsed from fire. The three primary ones, the, the one that really woke me up. I mean, I was already asking questions, but the building seven, hmm. when, when an airplane didn't touch it, they never said an airplane touched it, but some furniture fires uh, got out of control office fire or something in the building and and brought down collapsed an entire steel structured building never happened before in the history of steel structures in fact they've been designed purpose built to resist any kind of fire for that very reason but let's never mind the engineering when i saw a news reporter from the bbc uh talking to her bureau back in uh england and they were chatting back and forth in live time and she was there as a foreign correspondent um, looking at with behind her overlooking the view of New York. You could see the smoking buildings makes for a good scene, right? For news, you see the two smoldering columns of smoke going up in the background. And she's talking about a third building has collapsed. Uh, watched uh, built, uh, Tower 7. And yep. as she's reporting this to the desk, 20 minutes before it actually occurred, you can see that same building behind her in the scene so she's reporting on a collapse of a building that has not it's got 20 minutes to go before it occurs uh and it's right there on video and you i think you can still find it if you dig for it around absolutely um, so if, if if you're if you're willingly blind to that if you if, you, if that doesn't make you question things um i i don't know what will well, and it's interesting because even though I started questioning the whole 9-11 narrative and started to see all the evidence associated with the people, you know, this was, these weren't government agencies. These were individuals that were so shocked, so um, uh, curious about why what they were seeing wasn't uh, fitting into the, you know, what is objective reality. Right. Um, these were people that were digging in and sacrificing thousands of hours and thousands or tens of thousands of dollars of their time and money to investigate this and really showing, really doing a fantastic job of it. Now, from my perspective is that, you know, even with, even knowing that, I still had a lot of trouble believing things like, you know, other horrendous events. Right. That they, you know, were they were, were, were the, how, no, that, that can't, that, that could not be a, a conspiracy with high-level players, things like that. Right. So it, it always it, it took time for me, and I don't know if Deb, you're you're even close to that, but it took time for me to realize that, you know, Franklin Delano Roosevelt famously said, "There are no accidents in politics." Right. Right. Everything is scripted, and this is the 1930s and 40s, 
And when you start reading things that, you know, from that point on, even back then, there was such a tight control on events. People were planning ahead. And when you actually start looking at past history and how things and events unfold and how much evidence there is actually to show that there are these connections and established uh, methods, right? economic, uh, financial, uh, industrial, on how things are prepositioned, how things move, and how you you court public opinion and, and, and manage it, you start to realize that, okay, there are groups that have been doing this for a very long time, and there are families and industries that pass on their wealth and their knowledge, and they make these networks and connections for a long, long time. You know, and, and they, they like benefit saying, oh, from these these uh, events. Um, and just just to bookmark for one second there, um, I want you to continue with that. But um, what you're describing when you say events, um, I would apply a term, a specific term to these kinds of events that are caused. What, what would you call those, Javier? I would call them either false flag operations. Boom. That's exactly. Yeah. Yeah. False flags. Or, or Agent provocateur events. Right. So you, yeah. Um, if if you really dig into some of these things, not everything is a conspiracy, um, but no. I, and there's theory abounds, and that's where I think people you know get led astray. Um, but there is there's such a thing as hard evidence, and yes. you know, um, and and reasonable questions and and philosophies that you can apply when you're examining an event. And and I think Absolutely. some of these are very clearly conspiracies but not theories so it's important to make that distinction and um so as not to running down the crazy you know tinfoil hat conspiracy theory rabbit hole and that's all we've got time for tonight but it's not the end of the conversation Tune in next week to hear the rest as we dig more into the topic of being red-pilled. It's going to blow your mind. I've also got more recommended reading if you'd like to read about these subjects. Remember, waking up isn't as simple as taking a pill. And I don't expect you to believe what we're saying without doing your own research. I'll provide you some links and videos in the show notes with this podcast on LibertyNow.com. Thank you again for hanging out and listening in. Until next time, be good and keep asking questions.